Thanks so much for listening to the Art Tactic Podcast. I'm Adam Green. It's been an incredible 2018 for us. It was a record-setting year in terms of number of listens and downloads to the podcast. We really appreciate you listening consistently. We launched this podcast in 2009. I know some of you have been listening since the beginning. Thanks so much for your loyalty. And for anyone who's joined since then, we really appreciate you listening on a regular basis and even sharing with friends and colleagues. We can see the numbers growing and we really appreciate it. You're the reason why we do the podcast. This is the end of the year episode. It's one of my favorite episodes each year. We recap and analyze the art market over the past year. In this week's episode, we're joined by Judd Tolley. He's a veteran art market reporter. He writes for various publications. You can also visit his website, juddtolley.net, where you can read all of his articles. Judd's been a regular on the podcast over the years. He has so many insights and sources into the art world. Uh, he's a great guest, um, and we always enjoy hearing from him. We talked to Judd about some of the main storylines over the last 12 months in the art world. He tells us which artists were the biggest winners of the past year. Were there any prominent trends or shifts we saw in how the art market operates? And Judd even gives us some bold predictions for the art market in 2019. We're not going to hold them to them, but uh, it's fun to have them make some bold predictions. So thanks so much again for listening. It was a fantastic 2018. I hope you have a happy holidays and a happy new year. And we're looking forward to an exciting 2019 with many great episodes and many great guests. Enjoy our end of the year episode with Judd. Judd, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. In this uh, strange uh, late December spring weather um, in New York, at least. <laughs> uh-huh. I know what you mean. I'm ready to get out of here, at least for a little bit, for some warmer weather. Before we get into some of the details in terms of what happened in the art market in 2018, at a high level, what would you say are the one or two really top storylines from the art world over the last 12 months? Well, I would say one storyline for sure, uh, unmistakably, would be the rapid uh, rise, at least market-wise, of both African-American artists and women artists. Um, Just in the last, well, last May, um, I mean, it made headlines, of course, at the time, but Carrie James Marshall, uh, Chicago-based figurative painter, very established, had a stellar retrospective that started at the MCA and went on to the Metropolitan, um, the Met Breuer, and then I believe out in L.A. Um, uh, one of his paintings from that show was went up at Sotheby's with, um, I think the estimate was uh, maybe six to eight million, something like that. And it sold for hammer price, 18.5 million or 21.5 million with the uh, fees. So that was obviously set a record for any African-American artist, not for any living artist. And then um, this past um, October in London, also, uh, at Sotheby's, Sotheby's London, a uh, fantastic and early, actually is a student work by uh, the YBA artist Jenny Saville, sold for the equivalent of $12.4 million. And that was a record for any living woman artist. 
Um, and that also went, you know, way beyond the uh, pre-sale expectations. Um, ironically, that said about the Jenny Savile, that was, of course, my takeaway from that sale. I thought it was very exciting. Uh, Charles Saatchi originally owned it. Um, fantastic work of art. Uh, but that was the same evening that the uh, shredded Banksy uh, last lot in that evening sale, you know, sort of wiped away any attention that Jenny Savile deserved, which I found a bit disappointing not to be a killjoy about Banksy. Um, but that's certainly one arena that sort of, it's not sort of, but it's many artists that have previously been more or less ignored or at a lower tier, certainly not evening sale material, though quite deserving. Um, you know, you'll see coming up, um, for instance, I bet, um, if any of them are available, um, Charles White is having a retrospective at MoMA, which is getting great attention. And he was a teacher, uh, African-American artist who a lot of his career was in L.A., and he was, speaking of Kerry James Marshall, was a teacher of Kerry James Marshall and also David Hammonds at the Otis Art Institute. And so that's a name who, uh, Charles White, that um, I'm sure will be drawing more and more attention. So that's one, one side of it, one uh, element. I would say the second element, and it's not so much price-wise, and it's not so much perhaps even positive, but, and it, um, but both sort of happening, not simultaneously, but towards the end of the year, uh, it was announced that the um, premier art fair uh, company, MCH, based out of Basel, Switzerland, uh, and they do the Art Basel Miami, uh, Hong Kong, and... Um, <clears throat> excuse me, and Basel Fairs uh, announced that they were, you know, cutting back severely in terms of some art fairs. They had purchased smaller ones in Germany and India, and that <clears throat> they had taken a whopping loss, um, mostly due to the fact of their watch empire. They were doing these massive high-end wristwatch, very long uh fairs in Basel, Switzerland, and uh, uh, apparently the Apple Watch and millennials have kind of killed that market, and so they were dropping out like flies, and so it put a lot of pressure on the Art Basel organization, which now has this very ramped up, uh, newly uh, retrofitted, renovated space in Miami. So that was a big, I thought that was a, a big um, element in this sort of, as you mentioned, multi-layered picture of the art world. And related to that, um, also, I believe, maybe it didn't happen this year, but it became more known that the Freeze Art Fair, which is now um, the major stake Holder is um, this uh, L.A.-based sports and entertainment uh, company called Endeavor, 
and they bought a big chunk of uh, Freeze, and they had recently taken apparently a four million dollar investment from the Saudi Wealth Fund. So that put a big pall over that scene, due to, of course, the you know murder of the Saudi uh, dissident uh, journalist Khashoggi. Um, and anyway, this sort of crazy headline making is, you know, affecting the art world. And then if I could add one more little piece to the, you know, multifaceted puzzle would be towards year end departures, um, two major ones at Christie's Francis Uhtred, a veteran rainmaker in contemporary art based in London and also uh, Louis Guzer, um, the New York-based uh, kind of superstar stage master of all kinds of these curated sales that have done incredibly well, who's also credited with bringing in the Leonardo to auction um, and also credited with a number of these sort of signature sales that really pushed Christie's way ahead of uh, Sotheby's also left, uh, you know, just rapidly and shockingly. So, and then in a lesser headline, uh, making Mark was the COO of Sotheby's, which is publicly traded. So I guess they would have that kind of, um, position, uh, Adam Chin, who is very much part of that art agency partner subsidiary that, uh, Sotheby's acquired. Um, he left like vanished i mean gone so you know you kind of wonder all these pressures on the you know established um auction houses art fairs and um you know related on a smaller scale um you have kind of numerous gallery closings smaller galleries getting their top artists poached by larger ones so it's kind of like somewhat dramatic, I would say, this year. There wasn't, um, you know, apart from, uh, well, apart from, I mean, if you could call it this 90 point, I think it was 90.1 or $5 million David Hockney painting that sold at Christie's um, a couple of weeks ago in their evening sale. Um and the previous mark for a Hockney painting was something like $40 million. So this is like a, a very crazy price. Anyway, so that's, that's part of that picture. I mean, it, it's, it's really hard almost to focus on the market because of these sort of on one sense, the, you know, the masterpieces coming up and getting huge prices. Uh, and then, um, everything else. Yeah, I think some of those storylines really encapsulate some of the major events that happened in the art market in 2018, whether it's the rise of the African-American and female artists or what's going on with MCH and just even in general, just so many art fairs occurring, what's going to happen uh, to art fairs in the next year, as well as will there be more departures of specialists from auction houses. I think all three of those are stories that while they were major storylines in 2018, they'll really continue into 2019. We'll be watching them to see what happens on each of those fronts. 
Now let's talk about some of the artists over the past 12 months who you would consider to be the big winners of 2018. So whether it's because of incredibly high auction results or success in gallery shows or institutional support, who would you say, Judd, are some of the major winners from 2018? In in terms of, um, you know, living artists, I would say, um, and I... Again, this would fall into, um, well, she's actually uh, African, and I can never pronounce her first two names, but her last name is Crosby, and she's L.A.-based, and a fantastic um, sort of uh, mixed-media... Nejideka Akunili Crosby, I think uh, I pronounced it right. Yeah, no, I think you did. I, I think you did. But I mean, you know, the the kind of artists that uh, are getting these kind of early museum sanctioned stamps, and apparently, um, because I think the buying market is conservative or cautious in terms of they really not trying to make bets these days on what used to be called zombie formalism. Um, they really want. Um, to know or to be somehow assured that um, the work they buy, even if it's of the younger artist, is going to have legs, which I think is a kind of, you know, impossible, um, uh, impossible pursuit. I mean, the one thing I um, uh, sort of not so much growing, but somewhat having problems um, in terms of an artist who is like a kind of darling of the market is Mark Grochon, who um, perhaps there's too much of his work out there. I'm not sure. There's a giant show right now from a relatively new series that hasn't been shown before at Gagosian in Chelsea. But his auction prices have uh, weakened. And, you know, it's also... um, difficult to really analyze the auction prices because so much of the work that's coming on the market is either guaranteed directly by the auction houses or have some sort of form of third-party guarantee. So it's already a deal done before the actual auction. So um, in terms of you know these um, outliers, I mean, some living artists like Peter Doig, Scottish artist who's still, you know, huge in terms of whenever a major painting comes up, um, is uh, another, you know, star. I mean, in terms of, um, you know, a lot of the work that one might see, um, at least at the auction um, phase, would be seen in the day sales. And, um you know, smaller price points. But I think increasingly, um, or maybe decreasingly, there are fewer artists that, you know, fall into that kind of art tactic, you know, highest grossing artists. It's the sort of obsession with the blue chip and much less with um, more unknowns, I think is, is, is having a big effect on the market. It really feels like the art market is changing in terms of how transactions occur and just how things operate. We see Instagram, e-commerce, a lot of different things are 
just varying levels impacting just the art world, what would you say was the most prominent trend or shift we saw that changed how the art market functions in 2018? Well, I, I think I think you make a good point in terms of mentioning Instagram or just like another way to communicate. I mean, <clears throat> it's not, you know, um, announcing, you know, I'm cutting 7,000 troops from Afghanistan on Twitter. Uh, but um, a lot of information now travels on Instagram lines. And um, I know there's uh, one tag, I think, I don't know if it's proper to say it, but it's like, um, it's a new, uh, very, um, and I won't say who the, uh, very sophisticated collector dealer, he wears many hats, uh, is doing his own Instagram where he's just trashing different people in the art world and criticizing, um, auction houses, galleries, artists, um, and, you know, people just like gobble it up and are speculating, who could it be? Who could it be? The point I guess I was making and the question that you're bringing up is that, you know, the traditional forms of communication, press releases and the like, um, the social media wave, you know, continues to have a huge impact, not so much in terms of commerce, I don't think. I mean, both all the houses are, you know, have bragging rights about, you know, how much they've been selling online, but still, you know, it, it's a, um, you know, I want to see it on the wall, look at the back of the painting, you know, kick the tire sort of thing in front of you. That's driving the market, though the communication, the promotion, the, um, you know, even maybe perhaps even fake news about it is, you know, just, I mean, Banksy sent out a, Instagram of um, of his painting being shredded, like you know, right as it was almost happening. So that kind of instantaneous communication can have a big impact on the market, both positively and negatively. So let's look ahead to 2019. I know as an art market reporter, you're often in communication with collectors, dealers, galleries, auction house specialists. How are market participants feeling about the state of the art market as we head into the new year? Well, I, th I think there's a concern. Um, I mean, I certainly feel it. And, and it seems that the art market in general, apart from, you know, gigantic recession type uh, hits, is more or less uh, or has been bulletproof to this sort of negative headlines, world events. And um, I think things have sort of ramped up where I think it can actually impact negatively going forward the market because of, you know, the questions about Brexit, the questions about, you know, the United States is a world leader. And you know, all kinds of, you know, environmental hazards. I mean, you know, Louis Guzère is um, famously connected to conservation efforts in terms of the world oceans. And, you know, these things are starting to really creep in more. I mean, um, you, we were talking a bit earlier about, you know, w you know, in terms of you know, any dire predictions, but, you know, I mean, for all I know, you know, there could be money laundering questions uh, about, you know, in the auction houses in terms of 
you know, this um, Malaysian wealth fund and this character who's now a fugitive um, uh, hiding out supposedly in China who is a big art buyer at auction and who, um, you know, financed the um, Martin Scorsese film um, that DiCaprio starred in um, um, about Wall Street. Uh, you know, these kind of wealth funds are commingling with these top, you know, billionaires that are participating in the art market. And I think they could come into some, you know, um, headlines of their own, negative ones. Uh, that said, um, there's no question um, as evidenced if it was really true that the David Hockney painting came to market without a reserve. Um, I mean, if it's true and if that's a real price um, achieved, it certainly shows that if the right work comes up, there are plenty of people around that will chase it. And now, finally, my favorite part of the the end-of-the-year podcast episode... Judd, if you can give us one or two bold predictions for what might happen in the art market in 2019. So if you can go out on a limb for us, and don't just give us any prediction, but a bold one or two. Most people in the art world, they don't like to go on the record and give predictions, so uh, we appreciate you giving us a couple. Uh, And don't worry, we're not going to check at the end of 2019 to see if any of them came true or not. Yeah, but... um... Um, there'll be a new uh, CEO at Sotheby's, um, and it'll be a, a big uh, surprise. Um, that's assuming that Tad Smith's contract, which I think maybe still has a bit of a ways to go, um, that would be one. And then would be something like a real um, front page uh, money laundering scandal in the auction world. Um, you know, if someone like a Mueller type was uh, going, uh, digging, following the money trail um, of um, different people, uh, those would be two. Judd, bring in the heat. I think that second one, that would be huge. Um, you know, that would result in a lot more government focus on the art world and scrutiny and probably regulation, which we haven't had. So that would have a domino effect on many different things within the art world and how art is transacted. Um, but uh, thanks for going out on a limb with those and uh, sharing them with us. Yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, and I just wanted to bring up one thing. I read a, a statistic that I thought was pretty interesting um, in terms of just the continued duopoly nature of Sotheby's and Christie's in that um, I think it was in the Claire McDaniels uh, report for the um, uh, Art Basel group um, that 80% of the lots sold that sold for over a million dollars um, uh, last year, at least, um, were sold at either Christie's or Sotheby's, which is a pretty staggering um, figure. And we have Phillips moving into um, uh, a fantastic, what looks like a fantastic new space on Park Avenue, just very close to where they are now, in a Harry Macklow developed building. 
and the background of Maclow going through this huge divorce um, and his wife of many decades there, the judge has ordered them to sell their collection, which is worth in the high, you know, maybe pushing a billion dollars. I don't know. Uh, and if Phillips is going to be a, you know, a tenant of Maclow's development, who knows, maybe Phillips will get lucky and get some of that uh, property. A third bold prediction. I like it. Judd, thanks so much again for coming onto the podcast and helping us recap 2018. It was an incredible year, and we wish you a happy holidays and a happy new year, and look forward to having you back on again in 2019. Sounds great, Adam. Thanks.